Uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for all the good that St. Paul has uh, laid out for us uh, in the Romans. We'd ask that you would bless us, looking over their shoulders, at the good that he uh, described faith in you to be. We'd ask that we would uh, finish it off with a, a sense of uh, it completing our thoughts, and we'd ask that you would uh, help us devote ourselves to it more. In your son's name, amen. amen. Okay, the last two chapters of Paul's epistles to the Romans. Um, it's a continuation of the thought, first verse of chapter 15, it's a continuation of the thought in Romans 14, where he's been talking about, well, all of 14, about how does the strong treat the weak uh, in the church, who have differences of opinions about a variety of things. Food offered to idols, meat versus vegetables, uh, observing days, not observing days. Uh, and of course, you're going to apply it to a, a vast array of other things as well. Um, and he begins, it's, it, it, he's going to step it into another aspect of the thought, but he starts out with, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him. Now, that's almost, you know, verse 1 of 14, as for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. That was a, a practical uh, injunction. And here, there's the, the, um, uh, the oughtness is more um, direct as to qualities. Strong, weak, and failings. The strong get to bear, the weak are failing. <laughs> it's almost a job. Uh, the weak will fail, and the strong ought to bear with it. Even though it's one of the hardest things for the strong to do. It is one of the least, uh, the arena with the least amount of patience available to us is where we have figured out an aspect of the Christian walk and perhaps walk in it. Say you're, you're at a place in life where things of God to you are, are like breathing and you're enjoying the walk and you, you know and understand and are a guide to the blind. Um, it's very hard to listen to, watch any collapse of wisdom, strength in a weak believer. Uh, um, the phrase, not to please ourselves, is where the real, uh, you might say, the, the real tension rests. Uh, we, we could probably easily uh, understand how, yeah, this is good. This, yeah, that sounds real good. We have to bear with the failings of the week. Um, but not to please ourselves, because as soon as we are considering our reason for being unwelcoming, corrective, uh, impatient, etc., we are generally moved not by our strength, but our lack of pleasure. Uh, that, that I want it a different way. I'm not really referring to my 
strength. Sometimes the weak are running around correcting the strong because they think they're stronger than the strong as one of their weaknesses. But they're moved by the same thing. It isn't their strength that is demanding that of them. It's them having it their way. And God, he's letting us know here, that each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him, for Christ did not please himself. Christ, as, as a Christian ought to be operating in terms of, we are living in accordance with him. Um, he is someone we have in faith. One of the key things in the book has been the faith that <laughs> believed God, the faith that said, okay, you told me to kill my son, the son of the promise. Okay. Um, if, I was, if my first thought was whether it pleased Abraham or not, it wouldn't have gotten done. There wouldn't have been any faith acted. Uh, we are to be constantly not looking at pleasing ourselves only in reference to the weak. And that's where, where attention rests. We, not just attention about whether I'm, uh, I'm going to be undone or where my, my pleasure is going to be ignored or what I want to see happen gets, it gets to happen. But um, we're not just measuring it me to them, but me to Christ. That, that, and, and not just, uh, there's a devotion to the, what he wants me to do. And he didn't please himself. I come back, so many things, if, if you ever read uh, That Hideous Strength by, by Lewis, um, where the woman that is having trouble being what she ought to be, um, realizes, or the hero helps her realize that that her submission to God then devolves to other submissions. You know, she was having trouble with her husband, and um, she. It, what the problem was where her final court of appeal was, and too often the strong have a final court of appeal themselves. Because they're they're self-approved, they they have reached a place. Uh, things are copacetic, and they forget that we have an a the appeal the appellate level is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ would have you do this, and Jesus Christ Himself did this, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached reproached thee fell on me. It's out of Psalm sixty-nine. have here on the side, that Christianity is not the equality of many right ways, which would be a liberal notion, nor is it the insistence of your right way, which is too often where conservative Christians go. If they find the strong and right and holy and good confession or catechism, then it just becomes a, how, how long will it take me to insist that this be so in everybody's life? It is those who are right as Christ is right. Bearing, edifying, pleasing the failures. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not please himself. I have this uh, question, quote out of Matthew, a couple quotes down, Matthew 26. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's the 
greater faith have I not found in Israel when the Roman centurion says, I, have, I am one set under authority and I have others set under me. I know what it is to obey. Just say the word and it will be so. We are to have that in accord with Christ mode, not merely what happens in every institution, every club, every movement on any kind, the best at it rise to the top and they start insisting on themselves in their own place. Christianity, it shall not be so as it is among the Gentiles. He who is leader shall be servant of all. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now that's, he's leaning on you, with all the stuff that was in Romans 14, he's closing the deal here about where do you go for, in part for this strength? Where you go in part for this strength is the scriptures, because they were, in his mind, of course, the Old Testament scriptures, written down for our instruction to produce two things, encouragement and steadfastness, continuance, uh, and an encouragement to continue. Um, the, um... Hey, guys, notes are right there. There's room on the love seat and there's room in the big chair. Um, the big chair is so You guys can have the love seat. This is all being recorded. We just wanted to be on the thing. Welcome, Jeffries. We only have gotten as far as verse. Five-ish. Um, the end. The end result. If, if, if I go back, I'm supposed to look to Christ, be in accord with Him. I am to realize that what was written in the Scriptures was true in Christ, and the Scriptures sit there as a encouragement to your soul. And combining the continuance, that's what steadfastness is. Steadfastness means that whatever is set stays as set. Um, if you left something, uh, I was changing license plates on the Forerunner this week. Leslie had gotten me something in my stocking that uh, Christmas time I had an opportunity to use. It was a magnetic um, bowl that held nuts and bolts magnetically so they didn't fall anywhere and so I put the bolts down in the basement in this little magnetic bolt and carried it out there and stuck it to the side of the car sideways and all the things stayed in the bowl including the wrench that was in the bowl you know um, everything just hung there uh, not going anywhere where you put it there it stayed um, that is you count on you, you want that kind of continuing integrity of of the uh, um, 
of where something ought to be when you went looking for it. And uh, that combined with the encouragement, through that, we might have hope. Now, he doesn't say, what hope? Now, he, he says a lot of good things here that, that you could throw in aspects. We have hope down the page. Um, that when it's not mentioned as to the what the hope would be, you, you'd naturally put it in a generic Christian, not the blessed hope necessarily, but the hope of, of uh, the basic meaning of the gospel, man unified or united with God. But uh, we'll see what, what, what comes of the text. Um, and may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. So whatever, if I break free of just, okay, I'm better than that guy. I am one of the strong. He is failing and he is weak. That's not the measure of what I do next. Because that would, that would create trouble. That would not create harmony. That does not even, we try to actually at that point start creating everyone singing the melody. Because if we want the strong to always dictate to the weak what's going to happen, they're going to make the weak always look like themselves. That's the, believe what I tell you to believe, do what I tell you to do, be like me. But when we stop and go, I'm not here to please myself, I'm here to please the weak person for their benefit. Not please the weak person by the weak person's measure, or by the weak person's uh, uh, weak understanding of what's good. I am not supposed to submit myself to the, the weak person's uh, abstentiousness or whatever they're into in their weakness. I am supposed to be doing things, want bear with them. That means put up with that limitation. In the previous chapter, it was actually giving something up if it caused your brother to stumble. But I'm doing it because Christ didn't act to please himself. His love was not making a world that every sinner wanted to live in, which was sinning and getting away with it. Jesus Christ didn't go, okay, I'm God and I love them. I'll let them have their way, even though they're weak. No, I will bring a good out of my strength for their benefit, and I will be patient with them. It's that great verse in Thessalonians, uh, the... We exhort you, brethren, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And too often, those people who get into the business of admonishing, encouraging, and helping aren't the first people you go to for patience about it. You know, they, they, that's why they're trying to change the world, is they're impatient about stopping this act of sin in the world or this problem in the church, they are impatient. But Christ is not that sort of agent. There's a steadfastness and encouragement long-term. Steadfastness is dealing with long-term problems. And same with hope. Um, to, to apply the hope to a verse about hope that out of context, um, um, where he says, back in Romans uh, 8, hope that is seen is not hope. And too often when we're working with the church, we either dumb down what success is so we can feel like we're a success, or we're frustrated by all the lack of success in people's lives, and we don't 
were not like Christ, who walked through Palestine for a few years, putting up with things. Incredible stupidity in his own disciples. And he put up with it. And he patiently answered their questions, and he dealt with them. And that's where we're supposed to look, not to please ourselves, in accord with Christ Jesus. And if that's the case, if you learn this magic trick of steadfastly and encouraged to be so, hoping in the circumstance that you are not, when you have grown to be strong, could be anything more than patient with your Christian brothers who are dawdling behind. You can live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father. That's where you'll be able to be. Christian unity is so often dumbing down, like I said, dumbing down what is true so you can have diversity and everybody agrees with that everybody has a right to vastly different opinions and no real idea is true, or you have forced agreement. The unity of actually, like Christ has for us, um, I, I suppose I'm wrong about stuff. I don't know where. If I knew where, I'd fix it. But I know that God, looking down on this world, sees Evan shooting his mouth off, and goes, he is so <clears throat> wrong. He won't tell me where at this point, but he's patient. He's patient with his church, and the church can function in harmony in spite of a bunch of wrong people in it. That's what's wonderful about this. The church can function in faithful harmony with a bunch of weak failures. If everybody, including the weak failures, even if they think they're strong, if they learn this lesson that says, you know, I want to bear with the others, not to please myself. So welcoming one another, as Christ has welcomed you. And again, it falls back not to what do I think of the situation in front of me, but has Christ welcomed them? I, a basic adage or, or a phrase I've used, I should have fellowship with everyone the Lord has fellowship with. You know? If the Lord is in fellowship with this person, I should be in fellowship with this person. What does it take for that person to be in fellowship with the Lord? All of a sudden you begin to realize only ultimate heresies, denying the deity of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the, the tenets of the faith, where you suspect that someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have fellowship with the Father. So yeah, there I would draw a line. But if they believe a different thing about the end of the world, or they do believe a different thing about the mechanism of the gospel, or they believe uh, uh, whether or not you're decreed or whether you're free, those sorts of questions are, you know, they're interesting. But they're, but I know the Lord has fellowship with the Calvinist brother. I know the Lord has fellowship with the Baptist and fellowship with the, with the different kinds of Christians out there. And the only other thing is, you know, rank sin. Because it says anyone bearing the name of a brother who lives in such and such a sin had nothing to do with such a one. Because God's not in fellowship with the Christian in sin. <laughs> I just say, was God in fellowship with them? I should be. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
as it is written, Therefore I will praise thee among the Gentiles and sing to thy name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all Gentiles, and let all the nations praise him. And further, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come. He who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. All of those quotes I have there in the box on the side from their <coughs> source. We don't even notice it. When we're reading through the Old Testament, a verse like that, uh, um, verse Psalm 18, And for this I will extol thee, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to thy name. Well, first reason, the word nations instead of Gentiles. That's all Gentiles means. We don't see the word Gentile, so we don't have that, that theological problem of the New Testament jump to our mind. We just see nations, like United Nations, um, all sorts of nations in the world. Secondly, we're Gentiles. So, we don't, and it's been a couple millennia since this got worked out in the church, and the Gentiles essentially dominated the church from that point on. So, it's not really something our ears hear when we're reading through the Old Testament. For the Jew, being shown in the Old Testament all these verses that had the hope of the Gentiles all the way down to the root of Jesse, the Messiah, God was bringing about, again, the whole theme of the book, that everyone was a sinner, and he picked the Jews and the Gentiles in distinct ways, and is working with them in grace to bring them to the same recognition of their sin, the same need for faith, and the same one person in the place of the two called the Christian. All of this is being brought to pass, and he's... Um, laying that out for us as he finishes up the book. This is his closing, sort of his closing argument in the book. But he ends with that, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now we don't, it's a, it's a number of verses from that first hope in red up above, in verse 4, that we might have hope. But an awful lot of this failings of the Gentiles, the first Jerusalem council, um, was the problem that arose when the Jewish Christians were having problems with the Gentile Christians not keeping the law of Moses. And they saw the Gentiles as weak. And these questions still bothered. The, the Jerusalem Council decided years before this what was right to do. and They would not require the Gentiles live under the law of Moses. But God's purposes were still there. And, he, and Paul is still trying to smooth out the problem between Jew and Gentile Christian. What is it? This idea of the hope being um, available to man generally. I think it was a vague memory. Something jumped to mind here. Might be in um, when Peter comes back from Caesarea and he gives um, um, When he tells the story of Cornelius being saved in, in Acts 11, um, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, and you, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they glorified God, saying, Then the Gentiles also, 
God has granted repentance unto life. The hope was available to the Gentiles. Now, you get this story back from this mission of St. Peter, and speaking in tongues and glorifying God and saved Gentiles, Roman soldiers, and that was a lesson. But how many lessons over the millennia, how many lessons do you think Christians need to bear with the failings of the weak? To not think of, of, of other kinds of Christians as less than. Or they may be thought of as less than, but how does my heart then respond to that? If that hope before us all is available to us all, it may be that, like, that this is all dealing in one theme. May the God of hope, and since he f- fleshes it out in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This avenue of hope, the God of hope filling you with joy and peace. There's a great satisfaction when you hear of the one unbeliever who believes, you know, like the great rejoicing in heaven amongst the angels of the one lost being saved. We know what that's like when you hear of someone's conversion. And, and when you suddenly realize if you were a, uh, that, that the picture of the church that St. Paul is drawing is different, so different from pictures of the church down through church history, that this is the kind of sense of what thrills you about the salvation of the lost ought to be thrilling you about looking around the congregation um, at the variety of Christian experience and the variety of Christian views with the kind of heart that Christ has toward it. So the God of this hope, the God that's opened up this, this path of welcome for so many people by faith, so easy, so direct, fill you with all joy and peace in that belief. And in that, it would, the, the, the hope would abound, that these sorts of emotions would be uh, dominant in you as you think of the Christian life. I, I'm a, I, I've said before, and I will say it again, I am a futilitarian, and I believe the world's going to Hades in a handbasket, and I believe we're all dying, and I believe um, that the church is a rotten, rotten thing, generally speaking, and that most people are lost, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Said, Boy, you're a cheery person to be around. But it's not because I've tried to change them and I couldn't, so I'm just shaking my <coughs> fist at the world and turning on my heel, shaking the dust off my sandals. Because um, I want to be the kind of Christian that's full of joy and peace and hope and love, and I want to be living in that awful tragic situation where so few are you know, picked from the darkness um, or listen to the gospel, rejoicing in that because Christ is my example. I myself, verse 14, am satisfied about you, my brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. That's his opinion to the Romans from what he had heard. Good, knowledgeable, and are teaching each other. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. I would say that, yes. Because of the grace given to me my God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, 
in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's almost like a thematic verse at the end. He says, this is what I'm doing. I know you guys, you guys are cool. You guys are good believers. Um, I have forcefully brought up the topic because it needs to be brought up. It needs to be regularly brought up. It still needs to be brought up today. Christians still need to be told to not to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please themselves. They're still this kind of, it might not be a Jew and Gentile problem, but it's something akin to it. And a bold reminder is necessary so that what he was given by God, it's interesting he calls it his priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, we don't believe in priests. Right? Well, the priesthood of all believers, you know, that sort of priesthood, but... But it was it, the priestly service he's talking about is the sacrifice the Gentiles that so that the offering of the Gentiles may be ex- acceptable. Why I'm standing, I'm a mediator for the Gentile offering. That's what he's claiming. He's not claiming anything about priesthood, but he, he's claiming something about the gospel. The gospel is has opened this mediatorship that the Gentiles can offer something acceptable to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem as far around as Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ thus making it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they shall see who have never been told of him, and they shall understand who have never heard of him. It's a long sentence, wasn't it? Verse 18 through 21, it looks like. Pauline sentence structure. He's he's going on that this this argument he has given from chapter 1 all the way through here has hovered over this issue and he has said and I've done a good job of this ministry to the Gentiles the reason to be proud of it um, I have the gospel has gone aggressively by the way I've preached the power of miracles I have done the Holy Spirit what he has worked and from Jerusalem to Illyricum now you say why did you put the word Illyricum in red is then making it a kind of important well, in the letters uh, in the book of Acts, he never gets to Illyricum. But he claims to have been there. Illyricum is uh, Serbia, Croatia, that area. It's right across the Adriatic from central Italy. And in the, in the missionary journeys of Paul, he never gets further, you know, Macedonia is probably the furthest uh, northwest other than Rome, he gets. He doesn't get to Spain where he was headed, um, but he claims to have, as far around as Illyricum, um, he has preached the gospel. So yet, I don't think he's claiming Roman provinces that he hasn't been to out of some temptation to fib. Uh, so I just trust that we don't know of all of his efforts and journeys or even what he did in the 14 years he was in in uh, Cilicia, that he could just hang out in Cilicia, or did he go places? Um, 
But that's just a curiosity. That's just in there for your History Channel moment. But what he's, he wants to do is, is kind of like, and I don't know if this had anything to do with Paul's sort of rogue apostleship. He was not one of the twelve. Got picked later. He had to go check out his gospel with the other apostles to make sure he had not preached in vain. He got it directly from Christ. He was... Um, but he also didn't want to be messing with other people's ministries. And he wanted to go where Christ had not been preached. And that, places like Illyricum, very, you know, it was a pretty, um, even today, it's an uncivilized place. Um, and he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah 52, and it's right at the end of the passage on the servant psalms, uh, starting as here in the side column, as many, as many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the sons of men, so that he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they shall see, and that which they have not heard they shall understand. He's quoting it out of the, the messianic portions there of Isaiah. Now, for this reason, verse 22, For this reason, for this is the reason, left out a word, why does it not make sense after that? For this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He's probably writing from Corinth on his third missionary journey. Um, I just, it doesn't even mention Corinth on his third journey, but he goes down through Greece very rapidly, spends three months in Greece, and then heads back to uh, Jerusalem. Um, and he's taking a gift from Macedonia and Achaia, um, as he mentions here. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be sped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a little. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem with aid for the saints. I have a... Um, couple of passages there on the other side box, one about the gift that was talking to the Corinthians about the gift that he was trying to round up with the Macedonians and Achaeans, etc., and also about his hope of going to Rome, um, just mentioned in passing. Um, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they are in debt to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. And it's part of the, the nature of the communion of the believers, a new body, it says in Ephesians, that a new body, a new person has been made in the place of two. Well, when a new body is made, it's not just, okay, now we know what the, the club, how big the club's got to be. It's a new body with a new dependence on itself. That there's not a messianic Jewry over here and messianic Gentiles over there, and they wave at each other on the street, but don't have. They have communion with each other, and that idea of recognizing the point of the body um, is something where the parts of our lives benefit other parts of our lives. Here, the benefit is spiritual blessing with material blessings in return. The, the currency can shift. Um, 
the, in the in, in some spiritual mentalities, people think that any kind of material frame of the of, of Christianity is is unimportant for their spirits. They're so heavenly minded that no earthly good, as the saying goes. Um, but then there are people who are so earthly minded they're out there changing the world, helping the sex trade, helping not helping it, hindering the sex trade, um, doing whatever they're doing to feed the poor, do all this other stuff, and they forget their the spiritual blessings that have got to be present in their lives. But there is, when you make communion from all the things that God has given us, and God has made us uh, with bodies, with spirits, and with souls, um, there has to be a communion, a, a conversation going on all the time between the parts of the body. The parts of the body need to be able to exchange things. And the thing that benefits you on one end, you may want to benefit another person or benefit that person back in an entirely different way. It's right about here that the, uh, the pastor uh, leans on the notion of the tithe. But uh, they say, I want to let you know where those things happen, but they're not going to happen. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been raised, I shall go on my way of, by way of you to Spain. Now again, as far as we know, he never makes it to Spain unless he, is, he, goes, to, unless he goes to Spain after he's let out of prison the first time. He goes before Caesar twice, dies the second time. Um, so we don't know if he ever makes it to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He has an interesting list of requests, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come again to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The God of peace be with you. Amen. Basically, the, 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 and it's not that the, this is an example of prayer where, well, you know he prayed for these things. So it's be legitimate to ask for prayer that the, 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 the uh, actions of the unbelievers to destroy his work. And when you know the story of what happened to him in Jerusalem, when he gets back to Jerusalem, all Hades breaks loose. He gets arrested in the temple. gets almost torn to pieces by the Sanhedrin. Things just go from bad to worse. He gets turned over to the Romans. He ends up going to Rome under arrest. But he gets to Rome. But the prayer of the delivered from the unbelievers does come to pass. We don't know how the... Um, there's a little bit of problem in James's not response to the gift, but the Jews were worried that Paul's... Uh, was not faithful enough to the traditions of Moses. Uh, that's why he ends up in the temple helping people out. He was bearing with the failings of the weak, matter of fact. And he got him arrested. Uh, and he says, so I can come to you and we can have a good time. I assume that the years he spent in Rome, they probably had a good time. He had a nice house, from what I understand, just under house arrest. Um, but it, this is right there. That's the end of his thought. Now he gets into the conclusion of the book, the, the, uh, the say hi to so-and-so. In the say hi to so-and-so portion, all sorts of things come up. Um, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church at Sancria. Sancria is the other port city at the Straits of uh, Corinth. Corinth's on one side, Sancria's on the other. 
um, on the uh, Aegean side. That you may receive her in the Lord as befits the saints, and help her in whatever she may require of you, for she has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Still today, I see people fighting on the interwebs about things like this. You know, I, I just look at it and go, okay, so Phoebe was a deaconess, lighten up, Francis. I mean, it was, why do I have to die on this hill? But what's interesting is what, how I'll point out a few things. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Well, they've shown up in Acts, you know, you know Priscilla and Aquila. And, of course, some people make an issue out of that. Why is Priscilla always listed first? <laughs> work with me here. Greet also the church in their house. Oh, that's, that's nice. Little home church thing there. You'll see certain things referenced through this. I have some of them in red. One of the things referenced is the groupings of fellowships you'll see in the church of Rome. The church in their house down in verse 14, the brethren who are with them. 15, the saints who are with them. There seems to be groupings of fellowships that he's addressing, not one megachurch in Rome. It's all the saints, it's the church in, Mo in Moscow, Idaho, but you should be able to, able to say and, uh, you know, say hi to the people at the Free and Christchurch and, and uh, Bridge Bible and various other places. That's what th this is structured like. Also, how many of these people are referred to as workers, fellow workers? There's fellow workers of Christ Jesus, Mary who has worked hard, verse 6. Um, verse 9, Urbanus, our fellow worker, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphonae and Trophosa, verse 12, Persis, who worked hard for the Lord. Um, the, the, there, there's the recognition of those who are laboring in the body to bring something about. Now, that's just in a bunch of greetings. I greet this and greet that. Uh, um, greet my uh, church in the house, verse 5, greet my loved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Meet Mary, who has worked hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are men of note among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Hold it, Junius is a female name. The word men of note is not in the text. It is of note among the apostles. Now, they could be a married couple, Andronicus and Junius. Traditionally and historically, it was always a female name. Um, some people in the later part of Christian history have tried to affirm that it was a male name. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a feminist, and I'm not bringing this up to try to make a feminist point, because Paul does not have these in here as a feminist point. He doesn't have Phoebe in there as a feminist point. He doesn't have Prisca listed first as a feminist point, nor has he mentioned Junius thinking that other people might think it was a guy. But other people want to die on that hill. <clears throat> They want to pull that out rather than, have you noticed how he's greeting all the workers? Or have you noticed how it's uh, broken up into different fellowships uh, that you're, you're after? They're, they're kinsmen of Paul's, it seems like, related to him somehow, and they're also in jail. And older in the Lord. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my beloved Stachys, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. 
Greet those, and we don't know if these, how close they were related to Paul. You know, Greet those who are in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, eminent in the Lord, also his mother and mine. I don't know what that, whether he just thought of Rufus's mom as kind of as a surrogate mom, or whether Rufus is his brother. Uh, or is Rufus's mom, a stepmom, it's Paul's actual mom, and Rufus is not his brother, but you, know, you, you have no idea. Greet Asyncritus, Philagon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus, Juliet, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, we have this great uh, section, two chapters on welcome. Welcome, Wicker Brothers. Welcome this. Welcome that. Uh, here, here's a bunch of people that have worked hard, who go to different churches, different groups, uh, different people. Help them out. Help Phoebe out. Uh, all these people have done, done well. And then he says, I appeal to you, brethren, take note of those who create dissensions and difficulties in opposition to the doctrine which you have been taught. Avoid them. You want to watch out for people who are trying to introduce, and I, I was throwing in the standard thing. Do you realize Phoebe was a deacon? Some people bring that up as a point, a conservative point to fight against. They fight against women deaconesses. Um, the feminist agenda starts to try to make something of Junius being one of the apostles is what they go for. They, they, they not only just say, it's not just a woman, but she's among the apostles. Well, people who bring up dissensions and difficulties also disobeying the last two chapters <clears throat> Paul is an answer to those people who are there just to create faction just to create decision points that are difficult to um, uh, uh, soften, difficult to make peace out of. Because you can't make peace if the dissension or difficulty is the point. You have to either agree, you know, you have to agree or disagree. You have to give in to make peace or fight the fight. Paul says, avoid them. Note them. I just, he's just, I just went through and noted all the people I liked. I just said hi to everybody and the guy who worked hard for the gospel and Anybody who's going to be teaching something different. Now, if I were to try to make, out of these greetings, a doctrine opposite the general misogyny of St. Paul, I, I wouldn't be honest at best, because it, especially for people who can't stand St. Paul because he is such a misogynist in other passages. They, they, don't, they don't like what he says other places with clear teaching, and now they're going to parse his greetings into some liberation theology for for the feminist agenda, what we, I, I can't understand it, for one. But nonetheless, it would be against the teachings, you might not agree with it, but it would be opposition to the doctrine which they've been taught. Avoid them. That's the task. They're not working for Christ. They serve, these, verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. I go back to verse 1 of chapter 15, not to please ourselves. 
They're serving their appetites. And by fair and flattering words, they deceive the hearts of the simple-minded. One of the hardest things to be patient about is while you are trying to bear patiently, to please <coughs> others, work with the distinctions, not fix everything, not create a movement, not get everybody on the same page with you, others are. They're very much invested in making their particular dissension or difficulty fill out. And by fair and flattering words, that means they'll say things that sound good to dumb people. Because they're the simple-minded, right? Deceiving the hearts of the simple-minded. That means that they have, say, good-sounding stuff. I was listening. I don't know if any of you guys are fans of Rob Bell. But I watched a video of his today about Oldsmobiles and how God needed to be updated, just like the Oldsmobile needed to be updated. And he had a few suggestions, which are in direct opposition to the teaching of Scripture. But besides, besides that, by fair and it was it was it was, you know, it was he was he standing beside his this old Oldsmobile, talking. There was music, very meaningful sounding music, playing, and he was saying it very. There was a kind of a dulcet come over to the dark side quality. Luke, I am your father. Something along those lines. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, the Lord probably loves Rob Bell and he's probably going to heaven and I'd be in fellowship with him if I'd met him. Uh, but by fair and flattering words, feeding an appetite. Now, I think he's sincere. I don't think he's one of these false teachers that's just trying to get a following to make buck. But they have an appetite that they're trying to, and it, 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 it works on people. But the Lord doesn't want you to be a simpleton. For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. I would have you wise to what is good and guileless as to what is evil. You know, I mean, you mean clueless as to how to do evil and pretty smart on how to do good. Then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Then, he says, while you're already pretty set, remember he said they were good, they were knowledgeable, they were able to instruct one another, and he says here that your obedience is known to all. I am rejoicing about how, what good a church you are. Um, there's, this is needing wisdom so that you know that it is not the fair and flattering wisdoms that come down to you that are bringing up dissensions and difficulties, that are, that are antagonistic to the teaching you received, that only convince the, the dumber among us to go along with it. You should not go along with it. And in order to win that fight, for God to, the God of peace to crush Satan, that's what he's looking for. The Christians to pick up the slack and be... Uh, growing in wisdom. The wisdom of what, is, of what is good. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, the writer of this letter, greet you with the Lord. I, you, know, you kind of wish you'd been that guy. You know. I've got one verse in the Bible. I wrote, tagged it. 
Gaius, who is a host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is, you like to see those patterns of words used. According to this, I covered something last night in, in the last reading of Surprised by Joy where Lewis was surprised when a couple of his friends who were heading towards theism more rapidly than he was, and he had called philosophy a subject. And they, Barfield, Owen Barfield said, uh, it wasn't a subject to Plato, it was a way. We treat sometimes our Christianity as a subject that we learn all the answers to. We learn good apologetics, we learn all the right doctrines, we try to form up the right ecclesiology, we form up a lot of things, and we forget that it's a way. It's a way we live, it's a way we think, it's a way we are, that according to the gospel, we are strengthened. According to the revelation of the mystery, and according to the command of the eternal God, all to bring about the obedience of faith. That this, not obedience to the law, not obedience, we learned that in the whole book, the obedience of faith in accordance with certain things. And, and we are to be looking for a way that's in accord with something. Every way we follow is in accord with something. Um, uh, Fred Banks, I had breakfast with Fred Banks today, and, and he had got a section out of the Tao Te Ching that he was, he liked this translation of it, and, and uh, uh, we looked kind of hip at the breakfast club. He had the Tao Te Ching, we had the Oxford Classical Dictionary, and the New York Times. Um, we just looked like, man, we talk about liberal professors, you know, uh, but we weren't. And, uh, <laughs> But it was, it was a pretty impressive statement of uh, human pursuit of good. And it was just so, it was a way. The Tao is a way. And we are looking for what we are living in accordance with. These are the things, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and according to the mystery that was kept secret and then proclaimed in the prophetic writings, made known to all the nations, and according to the command of God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, let's thank God. Wow, only one minute past eight. Wow. <laughs> let's pray. Dear Lord, we are very grateful, very merciful to us, and we would ask that your great mercies the way your son dealt with sinful man, not to please himself, that we would learn by our master to do the same, to live in our church lives, to live in our fellowships in such a way that we extend ourselves in love, that we know what is true, we don't back away from the strength, but we know how to give ourselves. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. <laughs>